Well, good morning, little church. My favorite thing every Sunday is when I get to do announcements. I actually want to do announcements because I get to say good morning, little church, and I get to hear more. <laughs> well, um, and thank you, Chris, for just that song, Is Well With My Soul. And we are going to be learning today and seeing today why it is well with my soul. I have a question for you to think about this morning to start us. And that is, have you ever experienced something that so far surpassed even your wildest dreams that it changed your life forever? Have you ever experienced something that so far surpassed your wildest dreams that it changed your life forever? I want to share with you something that did for my life 20 years ago. And it would be in May, actually, that I'm celebrating that 20-year anniversary. And it just so happens, because God is so good in his timing of things, that the passage we're going to be looking at today relates directly to that. And so if you can open up to, we are in Luke, we've been going through the book of Luke. If you can open up Luke uh, chapter 22, and I would invite you to grab those red Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. Um, because I'm going to be showing something else up here as we're going through and reading through the Word. So if you have your Bibles in your lap, this is going to be really, really helpful. It's on page, anybody know? 882. <laughs> there you go, in the Pew Bible. All right, let me open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. As people have been saying, the beginning of spring has sprung, Lord. And we just uh, thank you for this beautiful little patch we have on this earth, Lord. And Father, as we open up your word today, we pray that we will not just be hearers of your word, but that you will, through your spirit, help us to understand it. So we will get it, and that we will have no choice, and we will be compelled to go and do it, so you can produce fruit in our lives. We thank you for the spirit that lives in us, and the spirit that falls upon us, Lord. Be with us today, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by taking a look at verse 39. Again, Luke 22, verse 39. And I want you to notice what it says. It says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. He, obviously, meaning Jesus, were in the last few days of Jesus' life. But it says that he went out, as was his custom. This is like the last week of his life. What was his custom? And I want you to just turn a couple pages before this to Luke 21, at the very end of Luke 21, verse 37. And this was his custom the last few days, last seven days, last week of his life. It says, And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So the last week of Jesus' life, what he was doing during that last week is he would wake up in the morning on the Mount of Olives, and he would travel down to the temple, and he would teach at the temple, and then he would at nighttime return back to the Mount of Olives. If you remember Jay a couple weeks ago, he showed this slide, 
which is a picture of the temple, just a representation that someone drew of the temple. And this is what it looked like, something like this, during the time of Jesus. And it was very, very large, very, I mean, I think Jay said how many acres it was, but very large. Somewhere in here is where Jesus is teaching. And I want to show you what this looks like today. This is what the temple looks like today. You can see the wall that goes all the way around. And that's what it looks like today because in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed that temple. And it's never been rebuilt. But in 1999, in May of 1999, almost 20 years ago, I had just the amazing honor to travel to Israel. And when I traveled there, I don't even remember, I couldn't even tell you why, but I had read this verse I just read to you about what Jesus' custom was, that every day he would go and teach at the temple and then go sleep on the Mount of Olives and then come back. And I wanted to just be and get an idea of where would that be? What would that place be? One of the possibilities of that is right here. Because right there is one of the main entrances that people would actually enter the temple and there's a whole bunch of steps there. And so I decided to travel to that location there. And what I want to show you is that when you're at that location, what you are doing is you're seeing the steps where people would walk up to the temple. But also right over here, this area right here, is the Mount of Olives that Jesus would go sleep at. It's not very far. It, I mean maybe 30 minutes walking distance between the two. So it's very close between the Mount of Olives and the temple itself. I really wanted to go and experience where was Jesus teaching at. And so what I'm going to do is, first of all, show you a picture where I was standing right here looking up. And then the next picture is going to be looking out to the Mount of Olives. So this is it right here. This is standing and at the stairs looking up. And right now there's a wall there. But what it used to be was a big, huge entrance into the temple itself. And you would have all these different steps. I was then went up to about where those people are standing and then looked out, and this is what I saw. So right straight out there, what you're looking at is the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus would stay and travel daily, back and forth. And so I really thought every day I'm here in Israel that I can I went from my hotel very early in the morning, and I hiked to this location and just prayed. And I've got to tell you, I just experienced the presence of the Lord like I never did there. Because I was thinking during that time, this is where Jesus spent the last week of his life. And in fact, those stairs that are very rough right there, those stairs are actually the original stairs that Jesus most likely stood on. And you know what? When he went to the temple... He didn't teach by going into the temple. He would teach on the stairs of the temple for everyone to hear him. So very possibly, Jesus stood on those stairs and would be teaching over all the people. But then we come to the last week of his life. And that's what we're going to be looking at, not just the last week, but the last days when he has the final time that he's going to move from here and go to the Mount of Olives up there. This is what the Mount of Olives looks like as I'm getting closer. And what you see with all those stones there, those are graves. And the entire Mount of Olives is just filled with graves where people would um, bury the dead. And up there at the top, there's a little, what looks like almost like a church, and that is the, what's called the Garden of Gethsemane and Mount of Olives, where we're going to be looking at today with our passage. 
when you're up there, this is the view, although you can be a little higher, where you're actually looking at over the city, you're able to look at over the entire temple. So as Jesus is there in the scene we're going to be looking at today, he looks over the temple. When you walk up there, this is what you see. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is up there? Why is it called the Mount of Olives? Because it's filled with olive trees. And you can see it looks like a garden. But what's also fascinating is these olive trees, you see how huge they are? They believe that those olive trees still have the root systems that were part of the original olive trees that were there when Jesus was there. Picture Jesus in this scene we're going to now look at. That This is his last night. He's now traveled from teaching at the temple. He's now moved up into this garden. He's amongst all the olive trees. And I want you to have that picture in your mind as we read this passage. Luke 22, starting at 39, pick it back up at 39, and it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant, and the high priest cut off his right ear. But Jesus says, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then notice what it says next. It says, then, in 54, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So at this point, they've now taken him from this location. They're bringing him to the high priest's house, who is Caiaphas. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat together, Peter sat down among them. I traveled to what they believe where Caiaphas' house was and where the scene took place. They're not exactly sure, but this is where they believe it was, and this is walking up to the steps. And what's interesting is that in the 5th century, a church was built over this location because they believe this is where Caiaphas' house was, and this is where Peter denied Jesus three times. It's called St. Peter's Church of the Cockcrow. (laughs) 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 Aptly named. And there's a church over this area right here where they believe Caiaphas' house is. And And this is what it looks like inside that church. 
that I got to go to. And this is not obviously what the courtyard looks like, looked like in that day, but this is a representation of that courtyard itself. So this is where that scene would take place. And Jeff went through this last week, talking about the denial of Peter. And then it says, Then a servant girl, verse 56, seen him. So you know he's in some, a courtyard like this. Then, and it's nighttime. Then a servant girl seen him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, This man also was with him. But he, meaning Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are the one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this is a man also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Jesus' prophecy that he just prophesied, as Jeff talked about last week, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now at this point, after this happens, they take Jesus and they take him down into probably a prison, the next scene that we're going to be looking at they found what they believe was that prison that Jesus was held in that night. And this is what it looks like as you go into that prison there, as you walk down steps built in this period, down into the dungeon, the places where they would bring the prisoners. This is right below or in the vicinity of Caiaphas' house that we're reading about in this passage here. This is very possibly where they took Jesus. And there is a statue down there, that just so represents this scene, these last few hours of Jesus' life. And this is it. Just really, it's sitting down there in that prison, a statue of Jesus, and what he was going through. I think it just so brings out the emotion. Knowing what he just is facing, knowing the decision that he just prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Lord, if you want to take this from me, the suffering that I'm going to go through, do. But you know what? If it's your will, don't. And it was God's will that he did not. Look at this picture as we now read what happens with Jesus. It says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him blasphemy in him but then the morning came and this exchange that jesus has i think is one of those times where you see such irony in scripture where man thinks they know what they're doing and they're in control (laughs) when really it's god who's orchestrating every single thing and this is what happened so starting in verse well 66 now It says, when day came, the assembly of elders and of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. 
So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from our own lips. So here we have the scene where Jesus, they're trying to capture him. They're trying, what they're trying to do is get him to blasphemy, get him to say who he really is, and they don't think he is who they, he is, and they're trying to get him to say who he is. And as you can see, he really does end up saying who he is, but they don't want to believe it. And I think the question that's been going on since Jesus said this for all of us, for the entire world, for every human being, it says at the very end, then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from our own lips. We have heard that Jesus is Lord. We have heard that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Now, this passage that we just looked at, this started with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane making the final decision, the final decision that would change history. And then we look at the very end when he claims who he is. Is that there is a passage that I think the Apostle Paul so, use the word surpassing again, so brings out the Christian life in the gospel. We sometimes think, well, is, is our faith complicated? And yet what you're going to see here is our faith is really simple. And what Paul also does is he tells us this is not just your faith and why you have that faith and who you have that faith in, but how are you to live in that faith. And that is a passage in Philippians 2 that I want us to take a look at. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I want you to look at how this passage really captures what we just read and what we just saw pictures of, but captures who Jesus is and what he went through. Because if you take a look at Philippians 2 here, it says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Did you hear that? Here's Jesus, not just a man, but this is God himself who chooses to not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I think what we just read, that decision Jesus made in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Father, I think that decision we just read is really what you're seeing here. This is the final time when Jesus said, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. It was in the garden that Jesus, and it's very interesting, the passage we looked at, Jesus prays and he starts out by saying, if it's your will, and then he says, don't take this cup from me. But then he ends with, but if it's your will, take it from me. So in his prayer, it was surrounded by, I am here to be fully, completely obedient to the will of God. God, if you want to choose something else, Father, do it. But my obedience is based on you. And that's what we see here. As we see in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then this last passage we just had read, notice what it says in verse 9. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him, 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that's really what, exactly what Jesus was saying at the very end. They were asking him, who are you? Are you the Son of Man? And he was saying, well, even if I tell you, you're not going to believe me. But he was saying right there, and actually he was going back and talking about Psalm 110 that prophesies that he would be sitting at the right hand of God. Why today does Jesus sit at the right hand of God? Because of what we just read. Because he was fully obedient and laid down his life. There is a word in the Christian vernacular that is a word that, you know, I, I've heard it described like you try to say it and it's gone. It's like a feather trying to grab onto a you know, feather that's floating. You can never grab it. And that's the word humble or humility because it's so hard to define what that word is. But I think what we see in this passage right here is we see what the definition of humility is. This is what Jesus did. He laid down his life. And when you look at the dictionary, I was telling actually Jeff and I think the staff, when you look at, this, when you look at the dictionary, you look up the word humility, it's really interesting because it's like 10 different definitions. All the different definitions of humility have to do with me. It all was about me doing something, about me looking less of myself, about me, how I view myself towards others. It was about, when you read the definitions, the humility is about me. But you know what? When you look here, it's not about me. Because Jesus, yes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross. But why did he humble himself? Why did he do that? Ultimately, it wasn't for him. Who was it for? Who was it for? Every one of us. For every one of us is why he did this. He laid down his life because he, for the sake of his life, wanted to give his life so we could have life eternal, that our sins could be forgiven. He did this for us. Everything what we just read really happened because Jesus really did make that decision with the Father and really did lay down his life for us. And I want you to notice, because he did lay down his life for us, who raised him up? Did Jesus raise himself up? No. Notice what it says. The Father is the one who raised himself up. And what's interesting is when you take a look at this in verse 9, it says, therefore God has, it says, highly exalted. And this word, highly exalted in the Greek, starts with the word hyper, H-Y-P-E-R. And that word hyper means excess or exceed, or surpass. And so what you see here is that Jesus, who fully humbled himself completely to the point of death for us, God is the one who then took and surpassedly, it's, it's a big word here, that's really sort of the real meaning of that word that's used in Greek, surpassing exaltation. God raised him up to the highest of the highest of the highest place, giving him to be Lord of all the world. And that is why Jesus today sits at the right hand of God. And it says in Hebrew, today, as we're all here, he's sitting at the right hand of God. When you write those prayers on your blue card, when we pray those prayers, he is listening to those prayers today because he is at the right hand of God. Why? Because God is the one who raised him up because he fully 
laid down his life for us. What is really, I think, interesting in Philippians and in this passage is that not only does Paul give the crux of the gospel, this is the gospel message. If people ever say, what's the gospel? You can point them to right here. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we all have. But what Paul does, he mostly will tell us, here's what God has done for us. Now act this way. Now behave this way. Now live this way. What's interesting in Philippians, he does just the opposite. He first of all tells us how we are to live, and then he tells us why we are to live that way. This is the why. The why is based on who Jesus is and what he has done. If you take a look at right before this passage, Paul then tells us how are we to respond to what Jesus has done. And so if you look here, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes talking about what we just looked at. Paul is saying now, because of how Jesus lived, this is how you are to live. And I want you to notice the parallel. Notice humility. It says we are to live in humility. What is humility? Because this is the key characteristic of who we are and how we are to live in Christ, is this word humility based on what Jesus has done. What is humility? It starts with, and I love these absolutes in Scripture, do what? Some things? No. Do nothing, absolutely nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing calling interest to myself. Do nothing saying, oh, look at me, everybody. Look how great I am. Do nothing that calls attention to show how good I am. Instead, it says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. The word more significant is using the same hyper word, very similar, starts with hyper again, a little different, as down there where it says God highly exalted himself, that hyper word means surpassing. There, Jesus was raised up the highest of the high. But here it says when we now are to, the way we are to treat others always is to count them as more significant than ourselves. When I look at all of you, when you look at each other, whether it's people here, whether it's the people when we go away from in church, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on a phone call, whether it's a work, in all those situations, we are always to in humility, and here's the definition of humility. For Jesus, the definition was laying down his life for our sake. Ours, and how we live that out, is that we are to count others with more significance more, and the literal word here is more surpassing value than ourselves. That is the call to the Christian life. We do not do it sometimes. We all know we do. We know this is such a struggle. If you want to say, how, where am I at in my Christian life? This is really the only thing you have to look at. If you want to say, what am I striving for? And you have to know I'm doing this not because someone told me to. I'm doing this because Christ laid down his life for me. 
I am doing that in response to that. And so you can see it's what's, what's interesting, though, is you go, okay, now if I do that, then who's going to look at me? And it says, let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. So if I always count others more significant than myself, I'm going to think, well, how am I going to take care of myself? Who's going to look after my needs? Who's going to look after me? Well, guess what? Each of us are to do that with one another. And so our job as Christians is not to say, how do I call attention to myself? And i got to say, that's really hard. I mean, I know as a pastor, when you're serving a congregation, your job is to minister, 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 serve, serve, serve. And sometimes you're just like, golly, <laughs> do I have to do this all the time? <laughs> and the answer is yes, because everyone is to be doing it all the time. Every one of us is to do that. But when I'm laying myself down, my life down for you, when you're laying your life down for me, when we're considering each other's needs, we don't worry about raising ourselves up because other people will come and raise us up. Other people will look at our own interests. And that's what's hard about the Christian life is just as Jesus went to the cross knowing and trusting fully what God would do, it was not Jesus who raised himself up. It was God who raised himself up. And the same for us. We are to go out and lay down our lives for others and just trust God that he is the one that's going to raise us up. He is the one that's going to take care of us. And you know, when I take a look at this church, I think that, and I've told this to Jeff, I think I've told it to the elders, the mark of this church when I, my wife and I, Michelle, when we first came to this church, the mark I have seen from the very beginning I walked in these doors until today is the mark is one of humility. I see a people and a group of you who try to live this out on a daily basis. When we came here, Michelle and I walked in here, and we remember Pastor Jay greeting us immediately and saying, hey, how are you doing? And feeling such welcome there was a first church we visited when we came here, and we've never visited another one since. <laughs> okay? And I have seen that humility displayed in so, so many different ways in the lives of all of you, of people really giving their lives for the sake of one another. And I've seen that among this congregation in so many ways. And I, you know, just a few I want to just to make a note of. And the first one is the woman I see standing back there right now, which is Kelly. When I came to this church, she was one of the first people that I met. But I will say, I, <laughs> I love you, Kelly. <laughs> and we, of all the people as I've been on staff here, that I've had to work with the most it is Kelly. I mean, we've, we've been part of this team and doing all the different things for so long. And I've gotten to see how she has laid her life down for you constantly, every Sunday, every play, every time during the week. But she did that for me. When I came here, I'm like this person from nowhere coming into this Laguna. And she was one who sort of just embraced me when I came. She helped me to get to know who all of you were. <laughs> and so I knew who people were, what their names were. She was there for me in learning our finances and learning so many things. And she always did it with that smile I'm going to see right now in her face. <laughs> I mean, just, and I remember so many times I'd go in her office and she would just crack up, give me something to laugh about. I mean, it has been a huge pleasure 
working with her. And a woman who truly has laid down her life for all of you. And I know that I've seen her do that for me. So thank you. I love, love working with you. And finally, another person I wanted to mention that I think really, again, when you walk in this church, where you see that humility take place is both within the people, but you also know where you see it? You see it right here. Because I don't know, just I don't, we might take it for granted. This church is led and worship every week in humility. Because if you notice the person who leads the worship, which is Chris Lazat, and I remember him and I having a conversation about the sound system. And the thing he was just a stickler with was he said, I want to keep this organized this way. Why? Why? Because our focus is not, Chris doesn't put the focus on himself when he worships, does he? Where's the focus? Right there. On the cross. On Jesus. There's no mistake about when you walk into this church, it's not about the musicians up here. It's all about we are here as a congregation focused on the cross up here. And it's because I think of Chris, that humility that you see him bring here in his worship, in his way, in his demeanor. And where is Chris? He's not up here. <laughs> Where's Chris? He's right here. I think you want to be close to the cross. We have such unique worship here. And Chris, I just I love you. I thank you so much for just the time. Michelle and I, we've loved coming here and listening to that worship in so many different ways. So many ways. And, you know, we talked about how, how what Jesus was doing all in that scene of Garden of Gethsemane. Go back and read it tonight. But if you look at that scene in Garden of Gethsemane, everything is wrapped around one word, prayer. And I am standing here today, and I will say this 100% certainty, that I am here because of three women who prayed for me. From the moment I came here, and they still pray for me, and I always know, I talk about who's, who's taking care of me. I know three of them who pray for me constantly. And that's Marcia. And where's Robin? Is she here? Did she? Yep, there's Robin. And where's Bonnie? Look at that. You guys want to just stand up? Just stand up. Come on. You might not see them a lot, but they are always up there <laughs> every day in the prayer room praying for us. And they have just changed my life. They have just so made in so many ways supported me. The person who's gave me this job and gave me a part of that job that's been a huge part that's changed my life is, is Jeff. And talking about humility, I mean, he is a man, I think, who characterizes that, lives that. You know, you see that in so many different ways. But when I started here, I mean, not only did we become just really good friends and have really good discussions, um, really wrestling with the Word of God in so many ways, but I was shocked when, I think I was not, I think someone just said this, I wasn't even on staff yet. And Jeff, I had been coming to, more, uh, to the Tuesday night men's group, and Jeff said, Greg, would you like to take that over? And this has been his baby for so long doing the, the men's group. I would trepidation go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's given me something that he valued so highly with the men and put so much time in. And I will tell you, in the last few years, being with the men in this church 
has changed my life. Changed my life so much and seen a group of guys that I have never experienced in 30 years of being a Christian who so love God, who so love his word, who so seek to be led by the Spirit, and who desire to love others, their wives and others, in ways I've never seen. And we get together every Tuesday night, and my jaw just drops going, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much these guys love the Word, they're in the Word, they want to live the Word, and they're passionate for that. And the Tuesday night men's group here has just, (laughs) it literally has changed my life. It's probably the hardest thing, to be honest with you, in leaving this church is because we became, every Tuesday we're together and became a family. And so I would just love for the men who are in that Tuesday night group just to stand up, and I just want to recognize you as guys who so changed my life. Steve, come on, Steve. <laughs> Mike, Rob, Klaus, anyway. And just to see a group of faithful men who do this so much. And you know what? There's so many. I could just sit here and spend the next two hours, if I could, and walk around to each one of you, Taffy, who is my angel. Someday you'll hear that story. She is an angel of God to me who I met one day up in the upper room up there. I'm so glad you're here today. And so I could just say that to so many others and just walk through. But what I will say is when I said to all of you today, good morning, little church, and you all answer back with, I will remember that for the rest of my life. (laughs) So anyway, I just want to thank you um, I, my wife and I are going off on this journey. Uh, we will come back and visit. We love you. And, and my desire for you is really just two things. Never stop getting to know Christ through his word. Never stop. Our relationship we've gone because he laid down his life. We have that relationship because he loves us and laid down his life. The way we know him is through his word. Never give up on knowing him. You would never give up on knowing your wife or your spouse or your husband or your friend. Never give up on knowing Christ. And always trust God to show your surpassing value. That's sort of a weird way of saying it. Couldn't figure out a better way. But it's really what Jesus did again, is trust God to be the one to use others or him to raise you up, to take care of you, to meet your needs. Your focus is to Count others as more significant than yourself. Your job is in humility to love others. And so that is my desire for this church. You guys are a real family. And my wife, one of her gifts is she loves having people stay over. So if you are ever visiting Colorado Springs, you, and I mean this absolutely seriously, we have a room that's going to be just for people to stay in. And we would love to have you visit us. So look us up. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to close with a blessing to all of you. And, you know, we have a tradition here, which is just, I remember just marked, marked one of my thoughts in the very first time I came to this church. And I would like to do it for you, which is I'm going to extend my hand to you. And I want to pray this prayer for this church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in this little church by the sea, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.